Well, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. We're glad you're here. I'm not the usual guy that preaches here, so if you're visiting, and I understand there are a lot of visitors, do not judge this congregation by what happens in the next few minutes. Nate Fritz, I know, is uh, one of the preachers here. There are others, and so be sure and come back and hear those guys because I'm only passing through. But I have a long uh, relationship with this congregation. I knew them way back, I think, at Methuselah and uh, when they were West End. And it is a far cry different from what you see here than those early days. But uh, my grandparents worshipped with them. They had come in from Spade, Texas, where they farmed, and they were worshipping in those days. I was about five or six and somehow managed to get myself locked in the men's bathroom. And I just remember banging and yelling on the door. I still have vivid memories of that. Finally, somebody came to rescue me. And and that's probably not giving you very good confidence in me this morning, because how does a guy lock himself in from the inside and not be able to get out? But I was five, okay, so whatever. And um, this was the first church that asked me to come preach outside my home congregation. This church gave me my first taste at what that was like to go speak to people I didn't, I, I knew, but not, not really like I knew the home congregation. And so, uh, long history, I, I missed Jim Ward, and I wish he was here this morning, and Billy, and Jimmy, and I could just go through so many names of people that I know you may not know, but they are a part of me, and they helped to make me, and I, I love them and appreciate them. So good to be with you this morning. If you will, open up your New Testament to Luke, the 22nd chapter. We want to think about uh, Peter this morning, Simon Peter. Have you ever fallen or known someone who has fallen in a big way? I I know sin is sin, but folks, one time I went to a a prison with a a man, a gospel preacher friend of mine that uh, was going to have to move away, and he wanted to connect me with an inmate that he had been studying with for a good while. I had never done that before. I mean, I'm telling you, that's a scary proposition when you're on this side of things. You had to walk in a certain track, you know, you had to follow that path up to the doors, and you couldn't bring your own Bible. They had to take everything away from you. You couldn't have pen in your pocket, anything like that. Walk through one set of doors, and they close that clang behind you, and then you're talking to the guy, and I mean, you know, there's just, it's all business. There's no jokes being made. You go into the room where you're going to meet, the other door clangs behind you, and now they hand you a Bible. And he said, I'm not going to tell you what he's in here for. I want you to think about that. We had a good study, and, I, and he was a good young man. And I would have never thought, as I walked out, I asked him, I said, well, from the way you said for me to stop and think about it, it only occurs to me it could be one thing, that he's in here for murder. He said, you've got that right. I'm going to tell you, on the list of sins, that's up there, right? To take somebody's life away from them, and to know that as a young man, he was going to spend the next 40-plus years behind those bars is a serious, serious matter. Now, all sin is sin, but you can fall so big, you can fall so hard, that it's, it's sometimes it makes it almost impossible to get back up. God, God can do all things, 
And if you will let him, and if you will come back to him, and Peter is a good example of that, because this story is connected with the great fall that happens with him when those, that, that, that passage when it says, Peter, that the Lord turned and looked at Peter. When he did exactly what the Lord said he would do, that he would deny him three times for the cock crew, that he would deny that he even knew Jesus. And Jesus turned and looked at him. It says he went out and wept bitterly. And then it's connected to the end of the book of John where now they're all together. They're in Galilee. You know, Peter says, let's go fish. And so they go back up there and Jesus comes to them. And in that setting, he begins to ask Peter some questions and he puts Peter in his place all over again. And it's all connected. It's connected to when he fell. It's connected to this story that we are reading this morning. So I want you to think about yourself, and I want you to think about maybe somebody that you can help that may have fallen the way Peter, uh, we are told, will be told, would fall. Beginning at verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Simon Peter. It's interesting to me when you do a study of it that Jesus always refers to him that way as Simon. He may call him Simon Peter on occasion, but he always attaches that first name. It's not until after the resurrection that you come to realize this is when he becomes that rock. This is when now we know him not by his Jewish name. We know him by Petros. We know him by Peter, by the the rock that he was and would be to the early church. But it's interesting to me that Jesus always refers to him that way. I want you to note something because you won't pick it up if you're just using an English version, though the Greek makes it very clear. At verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. I'm reading the English Standard Version. If you're in an English Standard Version, you know that it's footnoted. And if you'll read the footnote, it says, the Greek word for you twice in this verse is plural. And in verse 32. The Greeks, like uh, other languages, took a little bit of Spanish, and Spanish is arranged that way, uh, if I remember correctly, that you know whether the you is a singular you or you know whether the you is a plural you. Like if I'm looking out here and, and, and say to somebody, boy, you, you sure look nice today. I'm not thinking about some of you. I'm thinking about the person I'm looking at. But you don't know that if I use the word you. Sometimes context helps us. We know it's plural or we know it's singular. But the Greek is very specific. And so here, sometimes we read this passage and we think, well, he just asked for Simon. No, he asked for all 12 of them. He got Judas Iscariot. He almost got Simon and the rest of them too. But he wanted to sift them all like wheat. Now, folks, y'all are in West Texas, and though you didn't grow up on a farm, you are around agriculture all the time. And I'm sure you have seen combines and fields, and you know uh, what that means to violently separate the chaff and the seed. And their day, it wasn't so violent, but that concept 
of separating that seed from the chaff. That, that, that Satan is basically saying, I want to tear them apart. I want to rend them in such a way, like that brother who was a murderer, that they'll never get up again. They'll never be able to put the pieces back together again. Give them to me. He demanded, the text says, he demanded to have all of them. Now later the text will turn at verse 32, and Peter said to him, Lord, Lord, and Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the roost, I'm sorry, verse, I meant to read verse 32, but I have prayed for you, and this you is singular, that your faith may not fail, the you is singular, and when you, singular, have turned again, strengthen your singular brothers. So now he turns his attention to Peter. And while the, it would be true for all of them, it's going to be especially true for Peter, who's going to be such a leader among them. What can I learn out of this lesson today? What can you take home with you? Well, first of all, we all face Satan. Satan's after every one of us this morning. He has the world out there exactly where he wants them. We're going to read a passage that references that in a minute. Who doesn't he have? He doesn't have you. He doesn't have me. If we're trying to follow God, if we've been redeemed by the blood of the Savior, we partook of the supper uh, to remind us always of who we are and what we are supposed to be doing always with our lives. We've been baptized into Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. He doesn't have us. Where's he going to spend most of his time? Who's he going to try to tear limb from limb in such a way that we'll never rise up again? I'm going to tell you, Satan is real, and we must remember how real he is. Turn back with me, if you will, to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. I want you to notice a passage of Scripture there. You're familiar with this passage about the whole armor of God. It begins with this statement at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's always after us. There's armor we must put on. Now I want you to notice how he describes him. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That last phrase, in the heavenly places, some versions say in the heavenlies. But if you study the book of Ephesians, it also talks about in chapter 2 that Jesus is in the heavenly places. Now that strikes us as odd, but we're talking about the world beyond us. And in that world beyond us, both Satan and God are. They exist. In fact, we will read passages, don't we? And, and this, this passage about Simon alludes to it. He has asked to have you. What does that make you think of in the Old Testament? Makes you think of the story of Job, right? Where Satan came with the sons of God one day. I mean, we just get these little tiny glimpses of what's going on in that other world. And Job is a subject matter between God and Satan. Satan, God asked him, where have you been? He said, I've been going to and fro, back and forth on the earth. What was he doing? Trying to find people to destroy. We're going to look at other passages that reference that to us. And then he turns to, to Satan and says, have you considered my servant Job? Every time Satan and God are in communication with another, it happens to be about something that relates to you and me. Something that relates to the fact that, that we are the focus of heaven, and therefore the focus of hell too. That, but the, the one who will be cast there in the end 
He wants to destroy the work of God. And so we need to understand that He is a real powerful. I, I have studied this passage. I've read commentaries. And I'm going to tell you folks that everybody doesn't really know what to tell you about this. Except He is powerful. And He has many, many minions at His disposal. That if you think about uh, Jacob seeing that ladder that led or, or staircase to heaven and the angels were coming and going on it to and fro from heaven to earth, you think Satan does the same thing with his. And all these cosmic powers, all these rulers, all these authorities have one thing in mind, and that is to get your soul and my soul so that we will not be with God in the end. I said a moment ago to you that the Scripture says that most of his efforts are going to be directed to us because it says in 1 John to us, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. He has them exactly where he wants. The second thing that we note out of this passage is, of course, that he communicates with God. He demands, your version may say ask, but it's that stronger idea. He demanded to have them. We reference the story of Job. There's another passage. Revelation 12 and verse 10 says, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren. There are two terms that are translated for Satan, and one of them is this term accuser. The accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Man, think about that. That communication that happens in the heavenlies beyond us that occurred with Job that obviously is inferred here that happened with Simon and the rest of the apostles and, and Satan and God. That this book of Revelation then depicts him standing before the throne of God, accusing the brethren of God before him day and night. He is after all of us. And that communication is all about us. And he is malevolent to the nth degree. He wants to sift us as wheat, to destroy us limb from limb. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He may gulp us down, some versions say, whole. Sometimes, folks, he hurts people physically, hopes that he can destroy them spiritually. You know anybody that's battling a chronic illness? You ever talk to them about their faith? You talk about their struggles? You know, young people that, that, that just start out on a life's journey like Caleb and Julie have, and I know a young couple, and, and I did their marriage ceremony. And about two years into their marriage, he came down with a rare form of cancer. John Banks and Reagan, you may know them. And 10% of, of those tumors, only 10%, are cancers. And John's was. And there's only about 50 cases that happen every year. And so at MD Anderson, they have one specialist that deals with it, but they don't know anything about it. They don't know how to fight it. They don't know what to do. That young couple fought then for the next six years of their life, day in and day out, trying to save his life. 
And it was not to be the will of God that that would happen. Not on this earth. You think Satan entered that picture? You think he sowed seeds of doubt in John's mind and Reagan? You think he wanted to hurt them? Listen to Luke 13, verse 16. So ought not this woman, remember that woman of the issue of blood? She had spent everything she had and had not grown any better. Should not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? I'm going to tell you, that tells you Satan can attack people with disease in the hopes that he can destroy them spiritually. Another passage, Acts 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with Jesus. Folks, if that's all I had in the Scripture, that'd be enough. One guy said, you know, sometimes people quote every passage in the Bible. If I got one, that's enough. To tell me Satan can use sickness and does to try to get to us. You think he seeks to enter the minds of people in so many other occasions and so many things. In fact, the, the, the text in John 13, 27 says about Judas Iscariot. Now, after the piece, uh, after the piece of bread, <laughs> Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Satan entered him. That you have to fight him all the time. Well, that's a bad phrase when it says he entered him. That means that Judas Iscariot let that happen. Remember, James tells us to resist him and he'll flee from us. So if you let him enter you, it's because you quit resisting. It's because we quit fighting. So what should I do when I wake up every morning? I need to think, first of all, hit my feet hit the floor, I need to think and pray to God. But I'm going to tell you, not far from that, need to be my thoughts about how Satan intends to destroy me. He is powerful. In this world, he can invade my life with pain and suffering and sorrow. He can touch me physically and, and spiritually try to destroy me. He can enter my soul if I let him. He means to have me and you, just as he did Simon and the rest of the apostles. When I was at Texas Tech way back in the late 70s, Jaws came out. Y'all remember that? All I would have had to say to you is, dum-dum, dum-dum. I grew up in West Texas. One guy said, we're 400 miles from good fishing in any direction. Not quite true, but water is a precious commodity. I didn't grow up around water. So consequently, I didn't know how to swim, not very well. And my dad never took me and tossed me into, you know, the tailwater pit we had. Uh, I just didn't learn how to swim. And my, our senior year, okay, this is after, you know, uh, I mean, before, right before Jaws comes out as a movie, we go down to Galveston. And so we're out, you know, waist deep is about as far as I want to get out there, you know. And folks, if one of those little fish flopped up and hit me, I was out of the water in a flash back to land. Because I'm a landlubber, right? I could only think of sharks out there. And, and since Jaws has come out, I don't get in the water much. 
I went to watch it with my cousin. Jim Hammock lives here, I think, still. We went set together and watched the movie. And that scene where the, the, the shark has destroyed that boat, you know, and they just find it, yeah. And all of a sudden, he's swimming. He dives in dark. And I'm thinking, they, people are always doing the stupidest thing in movies, you know. He just <laughs> dove in, swims up to this gigantic hole in the side of the boat. You know, you know something's about to happen. And that guy's head popped out. I jumped out of my seat and landed in my cousin's lap. Because <laughs> that scared me to death. We know what to be scared about, don't we? Physically. Are you that scared of Satan? Because I'm not always. I don't wake up thinking about the fact that he could destroy me. I don't think about how he has destroyed others. I just sometimes don't think about him. And I make a terrible strategic mistake that I need to do that every day that I live. We had better be alert, as the Scripture says, awake, aware, and avoid what we know He can destroy us by. I'll tell you what this rest of this story tells us, though, and that is we'd be toast, as the guy says, if we did not have Jesus as our friend. We go back to the Luke passage, and at verse 32, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I have prayed for you. Do you think Jesus prays for, for us? What a wonderfully encouraging thought is that this struggle that I fight and you fight against Satan, listen, we would lose that battle if it weren't for our Savior helping us, supporting us, praying for us. Listen to these passages. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Or in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Therefore he is also able to say uh, to the uttermost, those who come to God through him. I'm going to turn around and read. <laughs> Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Since he always lives to make intercession for you and for me. Jesus came to save us, folks. He died on the cross to redeem us to himself by his own blood. He left the glories of heaven to become one of us in order to do all of that. He loves us more than we can comprehend, as the Ephesian letter says to us in chapter 3, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. He knows we are weak, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He took little children up into his arms to bless them. Do you think there is ever a time that his great heart leaves us? Do you think there's ever a moment when he does not care for us? Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And just as Satan means to destroy us, he means to save us. Listen to what he says to Peter. And when, when you have returned. Not if, in Peter's case. When. That will not be true of everyone. 
May it not be so that we're those folks. God's Son did not come to this earth to lose. He came to win the victory for us. And Jesus is praying for us. Here are some true stories that I know, young people. The guy was so drunk that he woke up naked in a room where a girl was, and he did not even know who she was. Did not even know how he got there. Listen to me. Jesus was praying for him then. When you think that you have sinned in adultery and you have destroyed your marriage, the consequences of it now are that your wife will no longer come back to you. You will have to live the rest of your life celibate. And who knows if you'll get to see the kids. True story. Then Jesus is praying for you. That you do not go the way of Judas Iscariot. How many people do you know? How many kinds of scenarios can we, can we name that have my name on them? The things sometimes folks in my past, and it's like this when we draw nearer to God, something will come to my mind of something terrible I did in my past. And I wince. But then I remember. He was praying for me then as He prays for me now. As He prays for you too. When our accusers have thrown us to the wolves, they were brethren, but they cast us out at the first sign of trouble. We stand before Jesus trembling, wondering what to do. How do we make amends for the mess that we have made of our life? Woman, where are your accusers? He asks. They are no longer here, Lord. We sheepishly reply. And with look both convicting and tender, he says to us, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Our purpose in life then becomes clear because this is what Jesus tells Peter to do. And the rest of the apostles and you and me. And when you have turned again, you're going to have to come back. You're going to have to turn in repentance. When you have turned again, here's your purpose. Here's what life is about. Here's what you're supposed to do. Strengthen your brothers. That's the rest of our life. Why did God make local churches? I think all of us found out with COVID that we're no good by ourselves. Some are still needing to wake up about that, by the way. Kind of think we can watch them online. Kind of think we don't have to come. Why is there the need for us to come this day and assemble? We all know Hebrews 10.25, you know, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is. Do you know verse 24? That's the one we really need. Because there it says, stir up one another unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. What's the purpose of us coming? Not just to worship God, 
That, yes, connected, absolutely. But what he states in that passage is, provoking one another unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We're no good by ourselves. Think about all the one another passages, that one another passage there, provoking one another unto love and good works. All the one another passages have no meaning apart from here. Apart from a local church, especially in the first century. I know we have FaceTime. I know we can do all kinds of things online to encourage people clear across the earth from us. Not possible in the first century. Not really feasible as God wants it to be. He wants us to be part of a local church. If you don't become a part of a local body of God's faithful people, then nobody will know you're hurting and need their prayers. No one will hold you accountable to God's standard when we are members one of another. What good are we to our brothers and sisters if we're out there by ourselves? A friend of mine that departed the faith, another friend of mine that was walking with him, gospel preacher, and this man that departed was too. He asked him, he said, what, what do you do on Sundays now? He said, well, my wife and I go to the park and we walk together and we pray and I may get my Bible out and we'll read the scriptures together. And I thought my brother was so right on. He looked him in the eye and he said, brother, how does that help me? How does that help me? Provoke me unto love and good works. How do you serve one another if you're not part of one another? How do you rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep? How do you edify one another, admonish one another? If a brother is overtaken in a fault, do you see all these passages have no meaning apart from Milwaukee, Adam? And he is asking us, brothers and sisters, to do the same. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In January of 1968, there was a Navy vessel, the USS Pueblo, that entered, the North Koreans said, their territorial waters. There ensued a firefight between their ships and ours, and many were, a few were killed. 82 survived, crew members that would suffer brutal captivity for the next year or more. Once, 13 of the men were required to sit in a rigid manner around a table for hours. And after several hours, the door swung violently open, and a Korean guard holding the butt of a rifle beat the first, the man that sat in the, the chair nearest the door, beat him senseless till he fell out of the chair. The next day, the men were arranged in the same chairs in the exact same order. The man who had been beaten the day before was in that chair. After a few hours, the door swung open. The Korean guard beat the same man senseless till he fell out of the chair. These young sailors talked to each other and knew that that guy could not survive another beating like that. And then they did the thing that all men who have fought in arms together know. 
they took his place. And one by one, they moved around that table and were beaten senseless. And the next day, the next one, and the next day, the next one, until it came back around and they knew what was going to happen to them. And they just kept doing it until the North Koreans stopped. Because they were too much of a bargaining chip to kill them. And the real thing that won that day was love. Was loving your brother more than yourself. Serving, rendering what needs to be for that other person their highest, best good. Knowing full well what would happen to you when you took their place. We need each other. Strengthen your brothers. You're subject to heaven's invitation this morning. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. If you walked away from him, if you've done some of the things we've talked about this morning, these people are a loving, loving family. And they want to help you as much as their Savior Jesus wants you this morning. If you're subject to heaven's invitation, we bid you come as together we stand and sing.